It was right around Memorial Day. And everybody was like, you know, on speedboats and zipping by and, you know, having a great time. And everybody was just like, you know, drinking beers and, you know, like, like waving at me and stuff. And it, it was one of the most surreal moments in my life because I, I felt like I was in like the 1800s. In May of 2003, Matt Parker was on the bank of Folsom Lake, west of the Sierra Nevada mountain range, washing his clothes in the lake, cowboy hat on kids his age flying by on the water. He was beginning a journey on horseback across the country. His modern life as a bartender in San Jose, fresh out of college, was over. He was setting out on an adventure that was much older than him. The hero returns home. That is the hero's story, Odysseus to Ithaca, Jim Hawkins to Bristol, Wendy Darling to the nursery. And that was Matt Parker's plan, too. The first, I guess, incarnation of the trip was, in my mind, was to ride from California to Michigan. Was your, like, romantic vision of this that it would be in a single year and that you would (laughs) not go back to California? Like, were you returning home and you wouldn't go back? Yes, that's a great question. Um, Yes, I thought that it would take me something like six months to get to Michigan initially. And I was very wrong. This is Ride of Passage, the story of a young man's solo horseback ride across the country. I'm Laura Weber Davis. This is Chapter 2, Setting Out. I was expecting that whatever chapter was next in my world was going to be after I had completed the ride and it was going to be someplace east of California. And so when I left California, I just said, okay, you know, I'm riding east. Before he could leave, Matt needed a trail. He pulled large maps of the United States out of the glove compartment in his Land Rover, a beloved vehicle he would need to sell in order to pay for this trip. He looked at the maps and surveyed the land. The first thing that occurred to me was all of the brown sections you know, of land east of California. And I, I knew very little about what I was going to need, but I knew that that was a lot of desert, and I was going to have to figure out a way to navigate across that desert. I started calling uh, Bureau of Land Management offices and U.S. Forest Service offices, and I was asking a lot of questions about riding on horseback and, and just how to navigate from the Sierras and then into Nevada. And this one person said, have you ever heard of the American Discovery Trail? The American Discovery Trail, otherwise known as the ADT, the only organized trail system that spans the country from west coast to east coast, California to Delaware. When we heard that Matt was going to do it, we were kind of excited. But, you know, honestly, a a horse is the hardest um, mode of travel on the trail. Eric Seaborg is president of the American Discovery Trail. He was on the original team that scouted the trail in the early 1990s. It was scouted primarily for hikers, mountain bikers, maybe. We actually always had horses in mind. 
And there was one segment of the trail that I rode on a horse myself for um, a few miles along the way. But in 2003, no one had tried the full thing on horseback yet. And then a trail organizer and colleague of Eric Seaborg at the ADT got wind that there's this kid from Michigan who's planning a ride. Once I explained to him that I wanted to ride to Michigan using the American Discovery Trail, he then conveyed to me that nobody had ever ridden the American Discovery Trail on horseback before. He said, well, if you're going to ride all the way effectively to like Cincinnati and then go north to Michigan, he said, why don't you just ride the entire thing? I just started figuring out, okay, you know, here's a map, here's a, here's a guideline for how I can get across the United States on horseback. But nobody had any idea how to use it with a horse. They had no idea what the recommendations might be, uh, where water was. I mean, uh, the average person can carry enough water to last them a day or two on their back, whereas a, a horse will drink 15 to 18 gallons a day you really needed to go from water source to water source. Which is difficult in a place like, you know, the desert. Riding a horse would also be a challenge in cities crisscrossed with highways. And even in the wide open spaces, a horse is tougher to accommodate at night than a hiker. I think when we heard that Matt was going to do it, there was a certain sense that, well, he's going to need kind of extra help and he's going to have to do a little scouting on his own to figure out some places where you can't take a horse, how to navigate those places. I just started planning on on using the ADT as best I could. And in the best in the back of my mind, I knew that if I had to deviate, I was going to deviate. My first I guess motivation wasn't to be the first person to ride the American Discovery Trail. It was just to complete the journey, alive, and with a horse, also alive. So he had a trail, but he still needed a horse. But why, maybe, you're asking yourself, why a horse? Why not, you know, hike the trail? Part of it, at least, was Matt's desire for companionship, this ride would otherwise be a completely isolated journey. A horse is more sentient than a bike, but they don't think about things like companionship, not in the way that we do anyway. We often, I think, try and put our human thoughts and emotions on the way that they're feeling and thinking. Sure, sure. And we view our partnership with them as something special. Yeah. And a magical they, connection that's happening. And is that reciprocated? I think they they don't quite realize that if they wanted to, they not only can run from us, but they could stomp us into the dirt, <laughs> you know. And, and somehow there is this symbiosis between humans and horses that is, a, is shorter than the time of evolution, and, and yet it feels longer than than that. It feels prehistoric. It feels prehistoric, and yet it's, like, shorter than the time that, you know, know, humans and horses did not co-evolve together to to be rider and beast of burden. And yet, you know, they they just fit perfectly together. Matt's first beast of burden, chief, was dead or sold 
but nonetheless he was gone. So Matt turned his attention to breeds he believed would best withstand the long ride. Gated horses. These are horses that they move their four legs independently of one another, and one hoof is always touching the ground, conserving energy overall. So instead of a bouncy trot that sends the rider up and down, you get a fluid, flat pace. It's considered a smoother ride over a long haul, and gated horses were preferred by the long-distance riders that Matt was researching. So it made sense to him. Later on, I realized just how well off the mark that was from what I really needed to be considering. There just wasn't a lot of modern evidence about what kind of horse would be best suited for a 5,000-mile trail ride. One trait, however, is necessary. A willing horse. A horse with a good brain and a calm manner. So Matt scanned the country for a gated horse with a great disposition. He looked into a breed called Tennessee Walkers, and that led him to the state of Tennessee, where he found a tall, black, gated horse. His name was Smokey. He was huge. I mean, from very narrow shoulders, very narrow. If you looked at him face on, you know, he was, he, it's like he would disappear, you know, compared, but if you looked at him side on, he was 16 and a half hands and, and black and massive. And he was just, you know, as a gentle soul, like a very, very nice, very, very sweet animal. I had him shipped out from Crossville, Tennessee. Without having seen him? No, I, no, I had not. My parents went down and saw him. Imagine buying a car, sight unseen, off of Craigslist or Facebook, and it matches what you're looking for, price and model. The person selling the car is like, yeah, this car works, it's great. And your parents, who know nothing about cars, in fact, they don't even drive, they go and look at the car and they're like, it seems, seems good. And this car that no one knows anything about, you have to buy it before shipping it across the country. I'm not, I'm not gonna shy away from how naive I was uh, at that particular time in my life. I mean, there's a million horses I could have found in California. There's a million non-gated horses I could have found in California. There's a million gated horses I could have found in California. And somehow or another, I, I, I found Smokey. Matt was relieved to learn that he'd actually picked a great horse. Smokey, the tall, cool-headed creature with soft eyes, was fully trained and what's called bomb-proof a horse that's willing to ride off into the battlefield, unfazed. Matt wasn't asking Smokey for more than a trail ride, but he proved unflappable on the mountains behind Big Oak Ranch, where Matt was taking riding lessons. Right around the time I got him is when I told Big Oak Ranch what I was doing. And they were sort of, they were really surprised. They were like, nothing I'm going to teach you is going to really help. It is one of those things that you, the training was, you know, it ended up becoming like trial by fire. You know, you, you learned what needed to happen by doing it. It was very difficult to simulate it. You know, you can, you can put an astronaut in a spacesuit and you can put them in an underwater environment, but it is not the same as being in space. It's the closest you can get 
but it is not the same. Matt and Smokey spent weeks together, camping out at night and learning to read one another. But they needed to hit the trail soon for the longest season of rideable weather that they could get. And then the day arrived. I was just looking at my journal the other day on the first day. So it was May 28th, 2003. And I set off from a bike path in Sacramento that was along the American River. My dad dropped me off. You know, we took off real early from Morgan Hill. And I just remember him telling me that, you know, you've already accomplished so much just by starting this. And, um, you know, he gave me a hug and took a picture of me. He still had, you know, there's still a photo of me, you know, walking away toward the trail entrance. Matt and Smokey slipped around the bend and out of sight of Matt's family and into what felt like some old world, a great unknown. A boy who'd never owned a horse, with a horse that had never been on a long trail, on a long trail that had never been fully tested on horseback. Those first couple days are a bit of a blur. Like everything else, my memories are a lot more concrete, but the first couple days are a bit of a blur. Because mainly it was like, oh shit, what have I got myself into? The first camp I got to that night, you know, I made a fire and cooked a little bit of food. It was a horse camp, like on that trail, on that particular trail, once it got a bit more rustic. And then I think the following day I was next to Folsom Lake. Which brings us back to Memorial Day weekend. Folsom Lake in the western foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountain range was full of people zipping by on speedboats, floating by on pontoons with coolers full of ice-cold beer. I felt like a, a powerful mix of, you know, sort of exhilaration that I had actually set off on the trip as well as like fear and loneliness and just like, cause you're, you're looking at a life that felt so natural to you. And then I would look back and it's, you know, it's like 1888, you know, like right behind you. And, and I'm like sitting there washing my shirt in the, in the lake. One group stopped at the bank where they saw a dude their age wearing a cowboy hat sitting next to a tall black horse. What was he doing, they asked. And did he want to come on the boat for a while, have a beer? Nah, said Matt. Thanks anyway. And when I turned around, I think I sort of mentally like turned, you know, turned that off. You know, like I, when I went back to the campsite and started, you know, getting whatever I needed to get ready there, I just, you know, I kind of tuned it out and I just was like, this is my life now. Matt felt the sting of losing that first boyish part of himself on the trail, the part that saw himself on a speedboat drinking beer on Folsom Lake with friends. He filled this new, empty space early in the journey of ever-changing landscapes with the familiarity of camp. Even the prayers I would say when I would clean my gun, where I would put my gun, where I kept, you know, my, my skinning knife, where I would put my things, how I would lay out my bedroll became very sort of formulaic. So at least in my head, I had my own memory palace of, 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 of my room, you know, wherever I was, so that I knew that exactly where all the things I would need to defend myself or the horse, you know, would be. 
Well, you you'd done a lot of camping, but did you sleep mm-hmm. very well those first few nights? I would, I no. think, uh, yeah, I would imagine I didn't. No, no, slept well. No, like my bedroll was me sleeping on the saddle pads a lot of the time with inside the tent. So I'm sure I stunk like <laughs> crazy. You know, sleeping on sweaty old saddle pads. I mean, like they 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 don't smell good to your casual rider. I can't imagine what I smelled like. And then I would just lay my sleeping bag or, or a blanket over top of that if I had the tent. And then later on, I abandoned using the tent. I think I naively thought that having a tent, you know, was some sort of barrier, some sort of protection, but it's, it's not at all. It didn't take long for Matt to learn the problem with sleeping in a tent. And he learned it the hard way. It sounds like there is a brawl happening right at the foot of my tent. And I hear Smokey just scream. And then I hear this huge thwack. That's next time on Ride of Passage. Matt Parker's story is told as remembered by him and affirmed as best as possible through articles, documentation, and records collected along the way by Matt and his family. Special thanks to podcast editors Rachel Ishikawa and Mercedes Mejia. The Ride of Passage theme was written by Bob Scon. Additional music by Blue Dot. Thanks so much for listening.